What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. The Soundtrack Show will begin in five, four, three. When we watch a big budget movie or TV show, we're hearing an incredibly complex mix of dialogue, music, and sound effects. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this episode is called What's in the Mix? Today, we're going to sweat the fascinating details that go into even just one minute of your favorite entertainment. As uh, George Lucas famously said, sound is half of the motion picture experience. Half? Why does he say that? What does that even mean? Well, we've briefly already discussed the emotional impact of music, But what about the often invisible art of sound? We'll discuss this and more. But first, I want to tell you a little story or anecdote here. I have a friend who asks me the same question every year around Oscar season. And even jokes, I know I ask you this every year, but... And then he proceeds to ask about two categories that show up in Oscar betting pools every year. And the question is this. What's the difference between best sound editing and best sound mixing? Well, I think the fact that I tell him every year and he still needs to come back and ask me again the following year speaks volumes about the confusion around what it is that dialogue, sound, and music professionals actually do to bring your favorite soundtracks to life. Again, for this episode, we're referring to the whole soundtrack that you hear in the theater in the final product containing music, dialogue, and sound effects. Well, we're going to answer my friend's question today using audio examples from movies like Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Toy Story, and a couple of others, and maybe provide explanations that should make it a lot clearer than, say, a Google search, or in the case of my friend, an emailed response from me. To start, I want to say a word or two about music. There's a ton we can talk about in terms of different musical instruments and their instrument families, uh, what sounds they make, how they're often used by composers, what an orchestra actually is versus, say, a a score made up of synthesizers versus a score made up of pop music and entertainment, Uh, the small army of people that it takes to create all of that wonderful music and that soundscape. But that deserving subject is for another day, another show. For now, let's just say that music on its own requires a lot of thought and discussion, and the soundtrack show won't shy away from it at all. This episode is all about everything else you hear. The dialogue. The Foley, I'll explain what that is, and the sound effects. Each of these have their own complexities as well, but maybe we don't know about them as much as we know about music. 
The arts that I'm talking about today are, as I mentioned earlier, meant to be uh, transparent. I mean, though they are an integral part of the illusion that makes up our entertainment, you know, moving pictures, to the audience, they're invisible. But I'm telling you, to the people who work in that field, the workload is anything but invisible. It takes months of discussion, trial and error, and yes, plain old-fashioned hard work. Sounds have to be recorded, designed, edited into place, and mixed together like so many composite layers in Photoshop. The joy of doing a podcast is that it's a perfect medium to discuss music and sound, so let's go ahead and take advantage of that right away. I'm going to start with a scene or an audio clip from a scene from Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And this is a huge scene in that movie. It's the Battle of Helm's Deep. It's the big set piece of this movie, the big uh, uh, scene that the whole plot focuses itself around, right? And I'm just going to play you less than a minute of the audio from the Battle of Helm's Deep. Let's take a listen to that final mix now. You can just hear how much is going on in this mix. So many sound effects. I hear some creatures. Viggo Mortensen having the elves fire their bows over the wall to the approaching army of orcs. The rumble of all the orcs. <laughs> John Reese davies as Gimli, son of Glowin. So much sound. So many characters on screen. I mean, all those whooshes and impacts. All that foley and armor. And of course, that great Howard Shore music. Uh, there it is. The Dies Irae. The swords come out. So you get the idea. I just played you less than a minute, okay? We heard a lot of stuff in there. And if you've seen the movie, you know how busy the action on screen is, how many people and creatures and weapons there are, how much action there is for you to follow. So much dialogue and, uh, and I should say vocal effects. So much music and so, so many sound effects are hard at work telling this story. And it goes by so quickly. So for audio experts, a scene like this could take you months, you and your whole team, months to put together. So I want to start by breaking this down with the most important element in any movie, the dialogue. Well, wait a minute. Boring. The actor says it and we all hear it, right? What's there to talk about? Oh boy, there's so much. What if I told you that on giant movies like this, almost everything you hear, including dialogue, is done after photography is finished? It's recorded in a studio in front of a microphone. Even though the actor was there on the set, even though they were doing what they were doing, some of that uh, comes through from the set, but a lot of it doesn't. Why? Well, first of all, in a scene like this or in other big action movies, there's so much noise on the set. There's so many uh, weather elements or even worse, uh, weather machines that make a ton of noise. Uh, there could be a director shouting directions over a loudspeaker, uh, fight choreographers and stunt people making all kinds of noise. Not to mention the sound of, of plastic swords and plastic armor beating together. It's not good, especially because it breaks the illusion if you hear them. So the point, if you hear what it sounds like when they're actually shooting, it's nearly half the experience of what you end up with in the theater. Thus, George Lucas's quote, 
You would be shocked to hear the sound that live sound recorders actually caught on the set during that night's shoot, compared to the artistry of the final presentation that we just heard. In fact, let's hear that now. I'm actually going to play you the production sound that survived in the edit here of, of what was actually recorded on the set that night. Uh, let's take a listen. Okay, right away. Plastic. Okay, there's a clean, some clean dialogue from Viggo Mortensen on his close-up. That's great. And then there's nothing here. Stunt people. Send them to me, come on! John Rhys-Davies, but again, there's all kinds of rain in there. More plastic. An assistant AD blows a whistle to get everybody to stop. Now nothing in that shot survived. Hard cuts. Stunt people falling over. And listen closely, you can hear the director shouting in a... In a megaphone. I'm gonna go back. Can you hear this? So that's either an assistant director or Peter Jackson shouting, probably an assistant director, shouting into a megaphone to get everybody to stop or to give direction. Calling for swords. When you can hear people talking through their rubber masks, right? Okay, so we heard all kinds of uh, uh, stuntmen grunts, including grunts from behind armor and costume masks. We heard uh, sort of rain sounds, especially in John Reese Davies' uh, dialogue there. We heard a lot of rough cutting. Uh, you even heard the director start to shout something in the distance. You heard an assistant AD at one point blow a whistle. Um, of course, there were no designed or edited sound effects, certainly no music, and not a lot of usable dialogue. And by dialogue, I don't just mean Viggo Mortensen and John Reese Davies. I mean all of the orcs or Urukai. I mean all of the elves, all of the all of the men along the uh, the castle wall, um, doing all their fight efforts, <clears throat> all that stuff you have to record. By the way, indulge me in a side note here. Uh, this clip of the production sound and the other Helm's Deep clips that I will get into on in this episode came from a wonderful feature on the Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers Blu-ray or DVD, which is buried in the appendices of, uh, or as a sound demonstration. So uh, forgive my momentary soapbox here, but while I love the convenience of streaming, physical media still offers a value and experience that is better than anything else we have. I mean, DVDs were truly a golden age for collectors as they offered um, a candid and sometimes exhaustive bonus features for hardcore nerds like me. And so many of them are like going to film school. And I must say, by the way, no one, and I mean no one, did it better, in my opinion, than Peter Jackson with his incredible appendices for six Middle-earth films. I mean, I've watched them multiple times, obsessively, and I cherish them second only to the films themselves. So, if you can and you have the means, consider supporting your favorite films and favorite filmmakers by not only buying, say, an action figure or a comic book, but by picking up a copy of your favorite movie or film score can only lead to a great consumer experience and supporting an economy like that will offer more great content like it in the future. Anyway, back to the production track. Like I said, no sound effects, no music, and barely any usable dialogue. Maybe one line from Viggo Mortensen will survive this evening's shoot. Everything else happens afterwards in the studio during a process that we in the business call post-production. So back to dialogue. You'd be surprised what kind of things require dialogue to be replaced. There are so many reasons. The first being noise, right? 
noise on the set. It interferes with the dialogue. You don't get a clean recording, uh, noise from the elements. So uh, this there's a history to this. Back in the day, in the late 1920s and the early 1930s, movie studios started tearing down sets in their back lots to make way for these newfangled sound stages. The point was they needed a controlled environment to capture clean sound. I mean, the idea that we're even talking about editing sound into place was still a really unique concept back then. See, the idea was to get everything as quiet as possible because you're just going to record the sound while you shoot it and then sync it up later. So even like noisy cameras had to be encased or moved away so that you couldn't hear them whir in the background. And sound stages exist to this day and they work, but sometimes even on a sound stage, you still have to replace the dialogue. A lot of it, sometimes massive percentages of an entire movie or TV show you sometimes have to replace. Uh, by the way, the art of replacing the dialogue is referred to, and you might've heard this as ADR or automated dialogue replacement. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as looping because back in the day, they would loop a piece of film again and again and again until the actor could get the lip sync right of their own performance. They're having to recreate their performance in the studio. We'll talk more about this in future episodes and a little bit more here in a second. But back to sound stages. I'll give you an example of sound stages still not giving you clean audio. Sometimes you'll have two actors in a scene just delivering dialogue, and it still doesn't deliver a clean recording. Why? Well, one example is because the sets, while gorgeously lit and very expensive looking, are still made out of plywood. And they're not meant to last past the shooting schedule. I mean, usually they're demolished when photography wraps in weeks or months or whatever it is. But sometimes dialogue is replaced simply because the set gives out clompy plywood sound as characters are walking through it. So the result, that particular dialogue is marked for replacement. Uh, I'll give you another example. The T-Rex Pavilion in Jurassic Park. Yes, that was shot on a soundstage, Warner Brothers' biggest soundstage. But there was a giant T-Rex animatronic in many of the shots. Plus, there was a rain machine going on. So you know that Spielberg and crew were undoubtedly shouting directions at both actors and crew while this was being filmed. And anyway, the, the rain machine would have made the dialogue unusable even if they weren't. Um, oh, I'll give you another example. Here's another great example. Wind machines. If there's wind in the character's face, if you can visibly see it on screen, chances are, I mean, 99%, the dialogue was replaced later in the studio. And when they do that, by the way, the actor watches themselves, like I said, on the monitor or on the screen, and they lip sync their performance back cleanly into the microphone. And then environmental effects like reverb and things are added later. And then suddenly the recording feels like it's back in the movie. I'm going to give you a great, great example of this, a very, very famous example of a scene, a very famous scene that was ADR'd uh, with an actor here. This is from The Empire Strikes Back, and this is the, the great moment of the reveal of Darth Vader. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Empire, I'm about to spoil it for you. Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Sorry if you haven't seen it, but um, I'm not talking about James Earl Jones here. We all know that he was uh, he was dubbed by, uh, you know, Darth Vader was dubbed by James Earl Jones later, but on the, on the set, it was David Prowse in the suit. Of course, that had to be dubbed, but Mark Hamill had to be dubbed. Let's take a listen to this here. I am the father. Well, actually, I'll, I'll back it up here. Listen to him say he told me enough. Obi-Wan never told me. He's got wind all over his father. face. He told me enough. You can see the wind whipping through his hair. He told me you killed him. No. 
And now he has to deliver this I huge drama here. Father. Agony on his face. No. No. It's not true. That's impossible! All replaced dialogue. You know it to be true. And then this huge replaced dialogue right moment no! right here. I have to say to Mark Hamill's endless credit, the emotion is all there. Mark Hamill has to give the most emotional performance of the entire movie, and he has to create that magic first on the set with a noisy wind machine and other elements rendering his performance on the set totally unusable. Not to mention that I, I'm pretty sure the crew was far away from them because they were up and elevated. So they're probably shouting at them. Not only does he have to recreate, create it on the set, he then again has to, months later, created again in a recording studio. That's, that's incredible. And it happens all the time, especially in big movies like this. Lastly, in talking about dialogue, what about crowds and backgrounds? I mean, you ever see a movie that takes place at a, at a house party or a high school dance and everyone seems to be dancing slightly offbeat or, or singing slightly at the wrong pace when singing along to the radio? Well, that's because... They're dancing in silence while recording. I mean, if you've, if you've ever seen raw footage of a movie like that, like a high school comedy and people are dancing in the background, it's, it's actually really funny because they're just making, they're like pretending to talk and they're, and they're dancing to nothing just so the actors in the foreground who are shouting over nothing, but they're pretending to be shouting over music, uh, can be cleanly recorded. You know, uh, the music's cut in later, Right. So they're doing it with no reference at the time. It's cut in later so that it can be controlled in the mix. Ah, so speaking of which, there's our first clue to the question that my friend asked. The mix, cut in separately, sound editing, so that it can be controlled, volume or otherwise, separately in the sound mix. More on that later. So crowds, group reactions, etc. are recorded with groups of actors all getting together and making those sounds. Uh, battle efforts, cheering... You may see them on the screen, but they're recorded after the fact to get them clean and separate. I will eventually cover this in detail separately on the soundtrack show, but for the uninitiated, this is a quick overview of this whole process. So back to the two towers. We're going to hear the isolated dialogue and creature track. And I want to call out a few things before we listen. First, how clean the recordings are of the lines so you can understand them, okay? I think Viggo Mortensen's is the only one that survived from that production sound. Then I want you to think about the massive crowd sounds that were created for this. Think about the almost complete absence of the production track that we heard that uh, that we heard earlier that was recorded on set. And lastly, the huge creature sounds that were designed for the orcs: pigs, elephants, lions. Uh, human voices, human performances, etc., are mashed up by sound designer David Farmer and his sound editors to create the vocals of the Urukai. Let's take a listen. This is the isolated vocal and creature track from Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Here it comes. There's his line. Yep, that's production, but everything else... Created after the fact, unedited in. That is a record. John Rhys Davies. That is a re-recorded line. You can tell the quality is much different. Okay, all the battle efforts. 
funny to hear them in isolation like this. It's, it's pretty hilarious. Yikes. So you get the idea, right? It's a lot of effort to build that track. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. And we haven't even talked about sound effects. I want to start off by talking about a process called Foley. What is Foley? Why do you care? Well, you've been listening to it for hours. You've been listening to it for hours, and I want to tell you about it. What is it? It is the art of performing sound effects live in sync with picture. Like a musician performs live to picture, sound effects artists called Foley artists perform these sound effects live in sync with picture after the fact. That's right, live. The human sounds, uh, we refer to it as like the glue of the mix. Uh, footsteps especially, body falls, uh, the sounds of costumes, which is very important in this sequence from Helm's Deep, all the armor, the handheld props, the cloth movement, the sound of someone sitting down in a chair, uh, someone brushing their teeth, not in Lord of the Rings, but you get the idea, right? Um, even smacking kisses of actors, the smacking sounds are done by Foley artists. Seriously. That, that's why it sounds so smacky and over the top. Um, anyway, Foley is named after a man named Jack Foley who lived from 1891 to 1967. He invented the process and um, people who perform Foley, like I said, are called Foley artists. Uh, it's hard work. It's very physical and incredibly detail-oriented. But when it's done right, the audience doesn't even realize that it's been done at all. It's invisible. So let's take a listen to the Foley track of Helm's Deep. Check this out. All that movement of all those people. Footsteps. These are all performed by Foley artists to picture. It gives the image on the screen weight, uh, reality, presence. So in isolation, it might not seem like much, but when it's missing, the characters seem to float. They, they don't seem real. It seems quiet somehow. Um, that is the Helm's Deep Foley track. I mean, listen to all of that sound. The footfalls, the armor, the props, all the actors' movement and costumes are captured in incredibly clear detail. It's like you're there. Actually, as we heard when listening to the production track, i.e. what was recorded on the day, it's better than being there. Wait, 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 wait. You're probably asking yourself, okay, why go to all this trouble? They're all there on the set. I thought it was all just recorded then. Why do we have to even do this? Why don't I just record them doing the footsteps then and get a good recording then? Well, besides the reasons I mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of dialogue replacement, uh, there is another simple reason why you have to cover every single little human everyday sound with walking foley. Our entertainment doesn't just exist in English. It's localized into dozens of languages. So even if the footsteps and great armor sounds existed on the production track, it would be totally unusable in all of the international dubs of the movie because they'd be on the same recording, the same track, 
that's filled with English. So you have to cover it anyway, because there's literally no production sound, no production sound in localized versions of the movie. Not to mention, you know, <laughs> different movies have different challenges. You can't record stuff on the set. You can't record real sounds because a lot of times they're not even there. I'll give you a case in point. Check this out. Listen to all of this wonderful foley. Well, this packing makes me hungry. What would you say to dinner at, uh, oh, Pizza Planet? Pizza Planet? Oh, cool! Listen to those squeaky tennis shoes. All those toys. You can bring one toy. Just one? One toy? All right, so this is from Toy Story. Um, all that wonderful detail was captured on the set. No, it wasn't. There was no set. There's no set for this. There's, it's, it's all in a computer. It doesn't exist. It's all fake. None of it's real. And in the case of, of uh, Lord of the Rings, so many of the Urukai and so many uh, uh, characters on screen and images were added digitally anyway, so they're not even there. It's only when you actually see the finished picture that you can take a look at it and decide what it needs. You need to spot the foley. You need to, you need to take a look at it and capture it then, that's when you have the ultimate control. You're in a studio, you're in isolation, you're not dealing with a hundred extras and the weather conditions and uh, expensive shoot dates. Sound is the last thing you're worried about when you're surrounded by all of that. You're trying to get photography in the camera, well lit, well shot. Everything else can happen afterwards. And that's exactly what happens with Foley. And in the case of a lot of movies, obviously animated movies, there is no set. Uh, this happens a lot, right? Um, so you just cover it for everything. Animation, live action, it doesn't matter. Foley is walked on everything. So now we get to the real fun stuff. Sound design and sound editing. What's the difference? Well, when you design sounds, you're creating sound effects for things that don't exist in the real world. But you're often, often using real-world sources as a toolkit to manipulate and change into a designed sound. Think of all the animals and voice actors that were recorded to bring Isengard's army to life, for example, in that clip we played. Now, for just a minute of the Battle of Helm's Deep, what you're about to hear are thousands of sound clips edited to picture to create a rich, bigger-than-life fantasy world of elves and men defending Helm's Deep against a dark army. Sound designer David Farmer and crew recorded weapons, uh, crossbows, swords, armor, tons of whooshes and squishes, human voices, horns, weather effects, and so much more to bring this sequence to life. The amount of layers, I mentioned just like layers in Photoshop, the amount of layers of sound will astound you. There are so many sound effects layers containing hundreds of tracks filled with thousands of edits that you have to actually categorize them into groups. And in this case, we're actually listening to a few groups put together just so we can get through this huge amount of material in the time that we have allotted for this podcast. So this first group is a mix of weather, uh, some torches, some torches around the castle, and horns. I'm just going to go ahead and play this for you, this AFX group here. You hear the lightning? Listen to the rain on the armor, the metal helmets. Listen to how wonderful that detail is. The delay and echo that's added to that horn sound to make it sound like it's going across a canyon. You know, that it's outdoors and you can hear it for a mile. 
right? And all those built-in perspective shifts that happen. Right? Sometimes it's behind the walls, so you're hearing, like, dripping water, and then sometimes you're kind of out into the uh, wide open there, you know, the open air up top. Very cool. Now I'm going to play you the BFX group, okay? This is weapons, uh, later on ladders, and some other objects, right? Uh, let's go ahead and play this. All those whooshes. All that whistling. Those clicks. So that's the big uh, arrow attack here. And eventually, they draw out swords. I'm skipping ahead. Now listen to the ladders as the ladders start coming up the wall here. That wonderful creaking. As they're trying to shoot all the orcs down off the ladders. All those wood creaks. Those sword and shield impacts. All those, all those whooshes. Bigger than life. Threatening. Perfectly synced up and telling the story of the dangerous battle with sound. All right, now we're going to play the, uh, the last sound effects group here. This is uh, the sound of marching. Just tons of marching. It's much bigger than Foley can cover, right? Big, impactful marching, almost like an earthquake. Uh, impacts, a lot of impacts or hits. And then, of course, really big falls. Let's take a listen to this. Listen to that rumble. Moving through the mud, all that crazy mud. Moving forward. All those body falls. Right, you get the idea. So this is like the, uh, the punctuation, the percussive impact of the dangerous battle. And of course, last but certainly not least, we can't forget Howard Shore's brilliant music that was written for this scene. On top of all of this, we've got a music track for this sequence. Here's the music for the elves here as they're getting ready to, to, uh, to uh, draw their bows here. Building tension with stacked cords. Right? And eventually, the orcs or the Urukai take over. Here they come as they start scaling the wall. Ah, tempo change. Now they're scaling. They've got the upper hand. So, I want to hear it all together one more time. So we can just take a listen. You got the music, the foley, the weather, the weapons, the impacts, the marching. So much going on here. All that vocals, all that dialogue, telling the story of who lives and who dies. And then, of course, listen to how they ride the music here. Here it is. 
And Howard Shore places that melody after the dialogue. Notice that too, so it has room to speak. He sneaks it in there. Wow. The soundtrack show will continue in a moment. We return now to the soundtrack show. So, what is sound editing? I hope we've established that here. Uh, it's the practice of placing thousands of sound clips, many of which have been painstakingly designed just for that film, that moment, or that character, in sync with picture. It's an art form. It's incredibly meticulous, as we've demonstrated. But when it's right, and I've experienced this throughout my career, the story jumps off of the screen. It's why I love it so much. The creative challenge of bringing life to the visuals, which are just an illusion. If music makes you feel, sound makes it real. I wish I knew who said that, but I've heard it throughout my career, and it's so true. If music makes you feel, sound makes it real. So what about sound mixing? Well, simply put, like I just played, it's putting all of these elements together and creatively deciding what should grab your ear and when. You're moving the sound through the sound field. So for example, this is a stereo podcast. I can move my voice from the left and I can slowly pan it over to the right over here and then I can move it back into the center. This is a stereo podcast. But film, game, and TV mixes move sound through surround. And now in Dolby Atmos, there's even sound on the ceiling. Uh, so mixing is, is placing in, inside the uh, sound field when and where. It's adding reverb, which is like uh, creating spaces that, uh, that don't exist, you know, uh, reverberation of, of different spaces, rooms, indoors, outdoors. Compression and EQ, don't worry about that. <laughs> that that's, gets deep. We'll talk about that some way, way down the road. Uh, and controlling uh, the volume, just the loudness of dialogue versus the music versus the effects, uh, when to push what um, and why and what that does to you emotionally. And now, it may sound technical, but it's a huge creative challenge. I love mixing. I, I, I love mixing. It happens right at the end. Uh, the director is there. The producer is there. And it's like adding that perfect icing to the cake. And you see the final product come alive. It's just, it, it's so exciting. I mean, you're all there just realizing this hard work right there at the end. Before I wrap, I wanted to share a listener email that I received from Carmela, and she wrote the following. Dear Mr. Collins, I learned of your show from an ad on another beloved How Stuff Works podcast, Stuff You Should Know. I see it as uh, something of a lucky strike. After listening to your first episode, I just couldn't believe my luck. I guess like all your listeners, I love searching for trivia about the movies that have meant so much to me. I've been looking for more and more trivia related to soundtracks, but there's not as much material or discussion threads to geek out on. Or if there was, they're probably scattered. So when I came across your podcast trailer, listened to you talk about John Williams' music in the first episode, I, I just felt myself light up. Finally. Being a movie buff himself, my dad spent his time with me and my brother watching some of the biggies, including Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Shawshank Redemption, The Last of the Mohicans, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, The Sound of Music, etc. I was six or seven at the time and did not understand English. The music cued me in on what was happening. Oh, I love this. The music cued me in on what was happening, and these movies had such an effect on me that I would watch them over and over again on our VHS. To this day, I credit these movies for helping me learn the English language. 
Thank you for this work. I just finished listening to the Doom and Gloom episode, and I value learning about the musical references that are rooted in a history I barely know anything about. It reminds me how much it reminds me of how much work and thought people give into making these films, making them all the more dear to audiences like me. Looking forward to the next episode, Carmela. Thank you so much for writing, Carmela. I, I know what you mean about hard work, and I'm so grateful to all of you who have found this show. Please, please help spread the word. Tell a friend, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Soundtrack Show HSW or on Twitter at Soundtrack HSW. You can also follow me on Twitter at David W. Collins or write us at the Soundtrack Show at HowStuffWorks.com. What's in the mix? A lot of detail, hard work, creativity, and passion for storytelling. As George Lucas said, sound is 50% of the motion picture experience. So the next time you see a movie, play a game, or watch TV, I hope you take a moment to listen with new ears to the incredible, handcrafted soundscapes that are being presented to you. If you do, I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't notice it right away, then I guess the illusion of reality was made complete by the sound team. And that, too, is a compliment. It means a job well done. Thank you. <laughs>